I don't want to presume that everybody knows um, the, the, the account of, from the Old Testament about Israel. And maybe, maybe not all of us have even actually read from the book of Exodus. But really, it, it recounts Israel's being set free by God from a bondage that was in Egypt. And the leadership under the leadership of Moses, they make their way into a new future. And that's a big part of what, what we've been looking at. And, and there was this moment as, as Moses was leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea and into the wilderness that word had gotten back to his father-in-law that um, he was going on his way to a region that was known as Mount, the Mount Sinai region. And of course, at Mount Sinai is where Moses is going to be given the law and the, and the Ten Commandments. And, and what an important piece um, that was and has been for our civilization. This, this interaction, though, when that word had gotten back to Moses' father-in-law, whose name is Jethro, and is kind of a mentor to Moses. He's a, a figure that, when we see it in the scriptures, Jethro, this, this father of Moses' wife, Zipporah, is a, a man who Moses greatly regards and has built a relationship with. He was employed by him as a shepherd when he had been running for his life from Egypt, fleeing Pharaoh because of the inner, the, what had happened when he had slain the Egyptian slave master who was beating uh, the, the Hebrew slave. And when, when the word got out that Moses had done that, he, his life was in peril. And he, at 40 years of age, the Bible tells us he, he runs away from Egypt into the wilderness and eventually goes to, gets to Midian. And it was at Midian by a well that he has this interaction with the woman who would ultimately become his wife, Zipporah. And so this is sort of the backdrop here. By this time, uh, we know that Moses had two sons. They had, their family had two boys, one whose name was Gershom and the other whose name was Eliezer. Um, we're going to read this, and it'll sort of set it into context. Because what I want to get at is the reunion moment that takes place. So we're given a vivid description of what happens when specifically Moses and his father-in-law um, see each other again. Now, we'll, we'll move forward here. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zephora, Zipporah and Moses' wife after he had sent her back. Because evidently, prior to Moses' confrontation with Pharaoh, he sent his wife and his two sons back to be with, uh, their fa with, with his father-in-law, Zephora's father, Jethro. And so this is the reunion moment. Word gets back that Moses is there. The family's coming together. It says and, and that with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. By the way, just parenthetically, uh, when in the Older Testament, a little bit different than our, our era. You know, today we, we name our children names that, you know, just we like. Uh, they don't necessarily have a specific meaning. They may but in the Older Testament particularly, names tended to be given as a representation of something, a critical place in a person's life or what someone was walking through in a particular season. And in Moses' case, his firstborn son's name, Gershom, actually speaks about how he saw himself uh, for at least a big part of his life. He says, I, my, he named his son Gershom because he says, it, which means stranger. And uh, it, it essentially, Moses, Moses is saying that I... I, I've come to a place into a culture where that was not my own, and I've had to adapt. And that's one of the subtexts in the life of Moses, is that you always get this sense that he never feels like he quite belongs. 
I mean, even when he was in, raised in Pharaoh's court, he's the one Hebrew ethnically in an entire um, you know, court filled with, with Egyptian people. And even though he sees himself as an Egyptian by culture, and in fact, that's probably the reason why he felt that he was strange, a stranger in the land of Midian. Because if you think, there's this moment, very telling, when Moses first meets his wife-to-be by the well and he rescues her, and then we, we talked about this whole incident that occurs there. Uh, his wife-to-be, Zipporah, goes back to her father, Jethro, and says, you know what, we were, he says, well, how did you get back so early? What happened to you? She says, there was this Egyptian who saved us. And that Egyptian, that's how she referred to Moses. Moses looked like an Egyptian. His culture was Egyptian. His language was Egyptian. So when Moses transitions into the second phase of his life, living in the land of Midian as a shepherd, a completely different and more nomadic life, a totally different culture, I mean, he never forgets that he's never quite, he, he always is a little bit out of place. And that becomes a pattern, a kind of, uh, you know, uh, a theme of the life of Moses. You know, we all have themes in our lives. Uh, there, are, there are things that characterize our lives, themes that work their way through the periods of our lives. So I have them, you have them. And sometimes it's helpful to actually think about what, what are some of the themes of my life? And in Moses' case, one of those themes was never really ever quite being, um, I don't want to say it, a perfect fit for wherever he, he was always a little bit out of place. And that's okay. In fact, he learned to adapt. And in fact, he names his second son. He says, my second son, I'm calling him El the Eliezer. It says here, just in, in, the, in the handout, it says Eliam, but take out the M because it's an incorrect uh, reference. <laughs> okay, so it's Eliezer. Eliezer means God is my helper. And God is my, essentially, he says, you know what? God has been with me. God was with me when I was running for my life. God has been with me to give me this life. God, and so he marks, it's interesting, the son's name mark things in his life, and they tell us something about him as well. But the, the news comes that, that Jethro is bringing Moses' wife and the two sons to meet him again. They haven't seen each other for an extended period of time. Uh, and, and there was probably had been little news about what had actually transpired in Egypt. And in fact, we know that was the case. But what's interesting is the Bible doesn't really tell us about the reunion that takes place between Moses and his wife and his children. It tells us about the reunion that takes place between Moses and his father-in-law. And there's this very tender exchange that occurs. And as I thought about this weekend and I thought about how a big part of what we're doing is honoring relationships and um, you know, thinking about the gifts of life that God has given to us, hopefully we do that a little bit. We say thank you. But in, in addition to that, I was thinking, here is an example of a passage where there is so much happening that can help us think about what it means to live well and to be grateful for people in our lives who God places. I wanted us to look at the exchange that takes place between Jethro and Moses. So let's read this through. It says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. That was Mount Sinai. And now he said to Moses, I, and this was a formal a sort of note that was sent in advance. I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons who are with her. And so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he, he bowed down. Look at what Moses does. I mean, he really honors this man in his role in his life. It says that Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. This is the great leader Moses. Um, and, and yet you can see the way in which he regards 
his father-in-law Jethro. And it says he, he meets his father-in-law, he bows down and he kisses him and they ask each other about their well-being. And so there's this, we're given this you know, kind of description, how are you doing? What has happened? And then it says, let's go into the tent, the tent and let's talk about, it says, and they went into the tent and notice this. And then Moses, what happens there? It says that Moses told his father-in-law everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done. I mean, there's this, this, this moment of great joy for, for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Look at this. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. For I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro and Moses' father-in-law took a burnt offering and, and, and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came. Aaron was Moses' older brother, who was also the spokesperson for Moses in that confrontation with Pharaoh. And they came, look at this, with all the elders, all the leaders of Israel came, and they met with Moses and Jethro, and they had a, essentially what, what amounts to a God-focused feast together. They celebrated together the faithfulness of God. That's the picture we're given. Now, as I was sitting with this, as I was looking at this passage, I was thinking about this weekend in which we honor relationship, there's a couple of things that I saw in here that I consider to be beautiful and, and, and part of what makes our lives beautiful and rich. And so if we can, I'd like us to pause and, and, and sort of just hold this for a bit. The first thing I want to just put on the board, and it's pretty obvious, is this, the beauty of family and the beauty of reunion. And it... It was, you know, for some of us, I mean, um, the, the, as it was here in this text, this described reunion, when, we've, when we are reunited with people we love, whom we haven't seen for a long time, it might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be a mom or a dad or a, a brother or a sister, uh, someone who we care deeply about, someone who has great meaning to us. You know, it's one thing to communicate with someone you know, electronically or, you know, by phone every now and then or even, but, but there's something about seeing someone face to face. And by the way, that's, that's why I think even coming together to God's house or to a place where we are gathered together, there's, a, there's a, a, something about the dynamic that I think it means even more in a culture like ours, at a time like ours, where, where we touch and we can see one another and we can be, be with, when you can sit across the table for someone and, and, and look into their face and to say, you know, how are you doing? And, and there's this, these, these times where, I, you know, we give someone an embrace we haven't seen for a long time, and it's so good to see you. I love you. You know, I, 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 you're, you're just being together, seeing one another again. There's something about that that's, that's uh, you know, a powerful dynamic occurs when we're reunited with someone who we haven't seen for a long time. And, um, you know, that certainly was the case with Moses and, and Jethro. There's this feeling of, I haven't seen you for so long. It's so good to see you again. And I, I suppose that in, in, you know, this age, with all of its, you know, technological advancement, I don't think we really appreciate what goodbyes mean and what reunions mean like previous generations. I think part of it is because we're so connected. We, I mean, think about this. I mean, we can, we can just, you know, not only, I'm not just talking about the phone. I'm, I'm talking about we have now 
you know, instant expectations about communi communication, right? It's like, come on, hurry, resend, resend this thing, try again, right? I mean, the idea is we, if we get five seconds in which something isn't connected, I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. And last summer, my daughter, uh, uh, my, our oldest daughter, was in Kosovo. She was with Samaritan's Purse over there. Was, she had been away. Now, we were able to uh, do something that <laughs> in the past would have seemed utterly fantastic, almost magical, for just 100 years ago. We were able to Skype her up and look and talk with her with just a very modest delay as easily almost as we walked across the room. And our family gathered, and we were able to see one another's faces and talk. I mean, it's an unheard of thing for, for previous periods. I, 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 just, I just don't think we realize the significance and the difference that often is in early, earlier eras, they couldn't even begin to imagine um, some of the things that we, we now just you know, take for granted. I, I, was, um, <laughs> I was driving in a car. I have a friend who uh, is really into, he's really into technology, and we were driving together in the car. Uh, someone else was driving, there was three of us there, and he was going, hey, you gotta see this. He goes, isn't this so cool? And he had his iPhone, and his iPhone was uh, interfaced with uh, Google Maps and Facebook. And he goes, look at this. He goes, it shows us exactly where we are with our picture, with a picture. <laughs> it goes, as we're moving, right? And I go, whoa, that, that's it. He goes, yeah, guess what? My wife and, can see me, and I can always see her. We always know where each other is. <laughs> wow, that's good for you. Yeah. I don't need that application. <laughs> but I was fascinated, I was going, that is really, so yeah, you know, we're moving across the bridge and there's the picture there. And I'm going, that is amazing to me. And I'm realizing, what a different world that we live in, right, then this is unheard of. I mean, I think, I think we take for granted what, what is an amazing time. And in fact, it's gonna create its own sense of dynamic now of, okay, is there such a thing as being too connected? Uh-huh, yeah, there is. And I think there's, that's gonna create a whole nother set of issues. But in pre listen, because of that, I don't think we necessarily appreciate some of what it means for previous generations when they said goodbye and when they, they, they were reunited. Because I don't know if we're, we're, we're as disconnected. Um, I was, you know, some of you are, have read uh, probably or at least watched maybe the series that was done on John Adams. And the book was from David um, McCullough, the historian on the life of John Adams, the second president of the United States. One of the things about that that made it so unique was it wasn't just about John Adams. It was also about his amazing wife, who was quite impressive in her own right, Abigail. And Abigail was someone who um, was not only a lover and a wife, but a, a deep friend of John Adams, his best friend. And they wrote letters to one another. Remember, the only means of communication they had in that period, that 1700 period, that was to write letters. And it was one of the reasons why when they wrote letters, they were, you know, they were so elegant. They were, they were, um, there was the only way of communicating with someone. And so when you were away, you, they would write these letters. And these letters, just to our sensibility, in which we value brief communication rapid, with rapid expectation, in their period, I thought of it in periods of old, they, they, they didn't, could not make that assumption. And so they would write things down. Think about it. If some of you may have seen the, the Ken Burns uh, Civil War in, uh, series a while back where you have these letters written by common soldiers and the guy, the narrator's reading the letter and, and you're, you're going, wow, this is a, a common, fairly, it was in this case, an uneducated soldier writing 
a letter that sounded so eloquent and beautiful and so, so um, capable of expressing the heart and the, and the melancholy and the fear and the love and the, the desire to see you again. And, and I was just going, that's the same, and that's the same thing that happened with Adam, John Adams and his wife Abigail. I mean, one of the amazing things about it is historically, we have been able to uh, retain their letters that they wrote because they were prodigious letter writers and they would write one another. When he was in Europe, she was in the States, they would write one another. But something stood out to me and it was something that McCullough wrote. He said this, he says, the letters never stop, so he kept writing. One season to another, though they arrived sporadically and were nearly always five to six months out of date. And when I saw I go, whoa, five to six months lag time on communicating don't think about you and I. I mean, we can't. We, we go, you know, five minutes. That's like, what's happened here, <laughs> right? Man, five months to me. Say, you, say a child dies or something goes very wrong with the business in, or the house. You, you write it. He doesn't get there for five months. It's five months late. I mean, it's impossible to really appreciate what even people just in the early part of our national history as they experienced life. I mean, it's impossible to really understand this, that what it meant for them because they didn't have access to the communications that we do. But here's why it's, it's significant in my mind because it explains sometimes why they took parting so seriously. And to the same degree that their parting, when they left one another, when they fell out of contact, I mean, I was reading the same thing about with the pilgrim, I know, in the 1600s, the pilgrims were, they were when they were leaving Southampton to come to the, on the Mayflower over here to, to the New World that no one knew anything about, basically. And it says that they just wept on one another. It, it, they wrote it down under Samuel Bradford. They wept the depths of their emotion because they realized that they would probably never see each other again and never even necessarily even know what happened to one another. It made that parting even more significant because there was no means of communicating. And the same thing happens here. When they would get together, there would be this enormous sense of joy and satisfaction that maybe sometimes we can't quite relate to, but it was, it's very real and very powerful that, that coming together again, to see you again, to hear what has happened to you, to, that means so much to me. And yet we still have that. But you know, and when people would come together, as was the case here, there would, there, and it shows up in this passage. Not only is there the beauty of reunion and the beauty of family and the beauty of, of, of seeing one another's face again, but there's something else that transpires here that's also beautiful. And it's a reminder to us of what it means to, to be alive. And it's what I'm gonna call number two, the beauty of shared story. Because when, what happens when they, they come together? What does Jethro say? He says, hey, he says, it's so good to see you, but let's, tell me what has happened. Let's go into the, let's talk about this. And it says that Moses, in verse, look, at you can't miss it, in verses eight and nine, I mean, it says, it says that Moses starts to recount to him all the things that God had done. He tells him, I can just imagine that conversation, right? He says, look, there, there, you, you won't believe what happened. I mean, I, there, I did what God, I felt God told me to do. I went there and we confronted Pharaoh and there was these series of events that happened. And I don't know how long I talked, but he goes, but then there was this amazing moment where he finally conceded and God, God delivered us with a mighty hand out of Egypt. And then we got to the, but it looked 
bad and it looked like all of a sudden we were going to perish anyway. We get to the Red Sea. We look like we're enclosed. That's where he led us. But then all of a sudden, God does an amazing thing. And, and, before, and Pharaoh, by the time we were done, Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's famed chariots were no longer pursuing us. We no longer had to be afraid. We get into the wilderness and you would have thought it would have been easy, but it wasn't. It wasn't easy at all. It was hard. There were hardships in the wilderness. We experienced things. People even got mad. One time they wanted to even kill me because I wasn't able to deliver the, the bread and the food. I led them out here, and they felt like they were, they were uh, <laughs> placed in a place where they were going to die, and they were blaming me. And so, I mean, here's the point. He's going over all this. He says, but you know what? God has brought us here. God delivered us, Moses says. And then it says that J- Jethro says, that's amazing. That, that's so good. What it, um, the, the word here is he rejoices for all the good which the Lord had done for him. It's like Jethro delights when he heard all the good things that God had done. He says, you know what? That's wonderful what God has done for you and for your people. It's an amazing thing. And so there's this, this sharing of story. And then I think there's, listen to me. I, I, I think there's something about the way God made us that we really were made for story. And we, were, we, we learn better by story. In other words, we, we like to hear, so tell me what's going on in your life. And we share out of our own story. And, and we begin to recount the, of what's, what's happening in our lives. And when we haven't seen someone for a long time, tell me about how things are going. And, and so, so what's hap- happened here? And we might say, and, you know, and this is what's been happening with me. And we begin to share our story. And there's something about that that's very special. And, and uh, you know, I think, that, again, the way God wired us, that we like to anticipate what's going to happen next. And um, it's no wonder that so much of the Bible is actually in story form. And think about this. When Jesus taught, he, you know, he used stories to both fasten and open up truth. We call those stories that he used parables. And Jesus knew that there's something about the way we're wired that we love stories. We're drawn into stories. We, we are brought into sharing things that, that so, so what happened next? And so, so let me see, let me see, try to figure this out. So this is where this is going. And we get drawn in. Something about a story draws us in. It, it creates an opening in us that, that stirs up some degree of, of ability for us to have a real transaction relationally um, that has, you know, a, a drop guard and therefore the possibility of genuine interaction that has intimacy. And you know what intimacy is, into me see. There's a sense of vulnerability and transparency that comes. And so when we say, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I, I'm sharing with you out of my heart, I, I, I'm opening my story to you. We're, we're sharing our story to have a few people in our lives that we can recount our story with. This is, this is my life. This is what's happening with me. And to have a few people who, who we can trust to safely disclose the story of our life, as it were, even the, the rotten chapters and the tough places. The, one of the reasons we always talk in the, in the church about, about the value of having a community, of putting in the extra time to build relationships that um, are going to help us grow with, with our own walk with God. The reason we talk about the value of small groups and out of that groups forming and forging, forging is a good word, friendships that create safe places for us to disclose our heart. Because as we do this, we are able to hear the voice of the Lord frequently in, the, in what amounts to, listen, 
a holy exchange. In the book of Romans, there is a list of characteristics of Christian community. In one of those verses, and we'll just put it up real quick, one of the things that is stated is this. Paul says, why don't you do this? Rejoice with those who rejoice. And look at that. And what? Weep with those who weep. You know what that's basically saying? Enter into one another's story. Share your, have, have relationships that allow you to share your heart in both the good and the bad. They've, one of the sayings that maybe some of us have heard before is that, you know, shared pain is half the pain. Shared joy is twice the joy. And there is something about the idea that when I can share my heart, my fear, my concern, my discouragement, the trial that I'm in, the temptation I'm in, what I'm having to work through, what's very hard for me right now, or that, that there's something of a re, of, of strength that comes from being able to share our heart, our struggle with someone who really can hear us. There's also a sense of great delight. I mean, it's one thing to celebrate something all by ourselves, and it's another thing to have somebody else there with us, right? Yeah! That's awesome, you know, and, I, and it's, it's a reminder that it's best to be able to have the ability to share the joy of our heart and the pain of, basically to share our story. I love this because Moses and, and, and his father, Jethro, are sharing, tell me what happened. Let's re I rejoice with you over what God's doing. But then that leads to this third beautiful thing. And it's this, it's, I call it the beauty of the journey, but in reality, it also includes this, the reality of hardship. And you can't miss it. When you look at that eighth verse there, it missed all the good. Moses says, there's so many amazing things that have happened. But there's one thing I, we need to acknowledge as well. There was a couple of places where it got really hard. And that's real life. Because it's going to have places where, cert, listen, certain chapters of our lives, a page of our life, is going to have a hardship on. It's going to be, look, one of the blessings of growing older is we begin to realize that there are going to be seasons where it gets pretty hard, and there are seasons where it's going pretty good. And life is a mixed bag at times. It has moments of tremendous, amazing elation where it's easy to be grateful and thankful to God. And then there are times, even for people who love the Lord and who are trying to follow him, where it's so hard that we've either been hurt or disappointed, um, a prayer unanswered, heaven, maybe even our own heart beginning to have struggle with doubts about the goodness of God, questions that we require answers to that are not being answered, at least not adequately according to our own satisfaction. And in those places where it's hard, listen, God shows up. And one of the, the verses that most I most appreciate that Jesus basically said this to his disciples right before he was crucified, in the discourse, he ends his communication with his disciples, and he says this, and this is a great thing for us to just remember always. To me, it's a beautiful verse. For Jesus says, basically, he says, these things I have spoken to you, I've given you my words for this purpose, that you may have peace. And that peace, by the way, is not simply a, a temporary kind of fleeting peace. The peace that he talks about is the peace of wholeness. It has to do with a settled heart and a settled mind. And, and just to make it clear, Jesus says, and by the way, what I'm talking about does not mean storm-free living. He says, listen to me. Listen to me good, because I'm about to enter into the worst storm ever. I'm on my way, and it's going to shake you, and you're not going to understand it, and I'll be honest with you. It's almost like Jesus saying, and I'll be honest with you, I really don't want to go there. But let me tell you something. I've given you these words that you may have peace. It's true for us. Peace of mind, 
peace of heart, relationally with one another, may love prevail. He says, I've given you these words that you may have peace. Listen to me, he says. In this world, our world, our life, in this life, we will have tribulation. There will be difficult places in life. He's saying, I'm not telling you that won't happen. I'm not even telling you that if you follow me, everything's going to always work out perfectly. He says, no, that's actually not the case. But he says, but listen to me, be of good cheer. The other version says, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome this world and implied, and I am with you, and I am with you, and so can you. And there's something about this idea of God's faithfulness in the difficult chapters of our lives. And Moses doesn't, doesn't pretend that there weren't hard times. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? It was just so easy. God, no, it was, there was some hard stuff going on, but God's been with us all the way through. And that leads me to this last beautiful thing, which is this. The beauty of sharing together about, around God's faithfulness, right? Celebrating God's faithfulness together. Look what happens at the very, what, is, what does it say they did? It says, after they shared this together, they said, you know what? We need to, we need to share a meal together and honor God's faithfulness. We need to mark this moment and celebrate it and let's eat together. And it's a good thing to do that. It's a good thing to be able to have times, you know, and the Bible is full of this, where it says uh, a lot of times that some of the great blessing in life happens when we're sharing a meal together with someone. And we're having good conversation. And we're able to laugh together and um, be together in a way that doesn't leave a negative residue. No hangovers, no regrets, just good quality time where the Lord is welcomed into the middle of this conversation and our time together and God is near and our heart is filled with joy and love for one another. And we come out of those moments, listen, very enriched, very enriched. And I don't think we treasure them enough. I, I, I believe that we need to really say, Lord, thank you for the people you've placed into my lives who if they were not to be here anymore, our life, my life, would be immeasurably less because of it. That I would, I, would, I would feel that loss. And may that reality fuel the way in which I engage this moment. May it affect it. Every now and then, it's good to remind ourselves that there are a lot of blessings in life and a lot of people in life that we will not always have with us. And this is a time to honor that and to reflect on God's, and if we are able to share, listen, to be able to share together a common love for God is a gift beyond measure. It is to be able to say we share this together. And it makes life even more meaningful and love even more fruitful. So the song that we're closing with is going to talk about how we have special people in our lives who stick with us in the tough times. But let me go ahead and pray. We'll have our time of giving. We'll close out. Lord, I want to just thank you for... Um, the ability we've had to be able to share this together. Uh, I take nothing for granted, even the privilege of being able to share your words, uh, at least to share in your name, your good words, your benediction. I, I pray that, that we would all live close to your good words. I pray that your good words would fill our lives. Um, in, a, in a life that is so busy now, um, busier than ever, always, Lord, um, just packed in with stuff, I pray that we would pause to just pull back at times and just honor the simple things, the beautiful things, the things that make life truly rich, the things that when all is said and done, as you taught us, that to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others, our neighbors, as ourselves, and especially, Lord, those who you've given to us to love 
in special, unique, and committed ways. I pray that we would treasure the right things in life, Lord, the things that truly make us rich. Help us, Lord, to, to honor and to uh, friendships in our lives, um, to honor those people whose roles in our lives um, we, are a, we have been given as a means of staying closer to you than we would have without them. And so I just pray that we would bless those who are worthy of being blessed, that we would be a kind of friend that, that we want others to be to us and teach us to have the ability to enjoy the simple gifts of life. And so as we close this service out, as we close this time together out, we just pray for the goodness and the grace of the Lord to flow among us, even through this last song and into our time of giving as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.